Water systems are integral to a city's design. Without water, human life is unsustainable, no matter how advanced the city society is. But with how developed modern America has become, a sizable population center can go up without a nearby water source, as American ingenuity can manually construct the source. Such is the tale of the Los Angeles Aqueduct an engineering marvel of the early 20th century, second only to the Panama Canal. Today it supplies the city with an average of 29% of its water, even over a century after its construction. Today we discover the Los Angeles Aqueduct. I'm your host Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. This episode was made possible by Endel, an environment-based nonprofit app that takes everything we know about sound and combines it with cutting-edge technology to give you personalized soundscapes designed to help you relax, focus, and sleep. Endel has helped me find the mental clarity needed to create these videos. The fantastic soundscapes enhance my focus and help with productivity. Perhaps what I enjoy most about Endel's patented technology is how it put my biological clock in tune with nature's organic rhythms and cycles drastically improving how I feel. Using this app really gave me a new appreciation for how much our sonic environment affects us. So if you'd like to increase your focus and general wellness, download the app now by clicking the link in the description below. The first 100 people to download will get a free week of audio experience using my special link in the description box. To get to the story of the aqueduct, we first need to discuss the history of Los Angeles. The region's first inhabitants were indigenous tribes, hunter-gatherers dating back to 8000 BCE. Europeans did not arrive in the area until 1542 with the arrival of Portuguese sailor Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo after his initial exploration, over 200 years passed before the next notable European arrived, Gaspar de Potola. Portola established a Spanish outpost in the area and by 1781. As more arrivals came in from Europe and nearby native tribes, the settlement's governor gave it a new name. Thus, was the birth of Los Angeles. By the time Mexico declared independence from Spain, all of California had fallen under control of Mexico. However, 27 years later, the United States annexed California, just around the time its settlement discovered gold in the Sacramento Valley. As the 49ers rushed to the area to take advantage of the gold, Los Angeles flourished into a much larger city. Come 1881, the South Pacific Railroad extended to Los Angeles, connecting it with the rest of the country. And with that, the city exploded in growth, with people all across the country flocking to the area to pick up land in the Sunshine State. Not to mention that around this time, the orange groves began to take on a much larger shape. Though an influx of population and expanding fruit industry have something in common, they both need more water than the area supply allowed for the time. Before the city's significant burst of expansion, its water supply generally came from the massive Los Angeles River watershed, which covered nearly 50 miles and provided plenty of water for the city and all of the smaller settlements along its banks. 
Los Angeles had a brick reservoir constructed to store water from the Zanjamadre or Mother Ditch, a man-made river created entirely by community laborers within a month in 1871 to go out to houses along populated streets. But with its explosive growth, this water supply suddenly became insufficient, especially considering California's iconic orange industry. With the rising need for water breaking out across the city, Los Angeles needed to form a solution, especially with a drought in the early 20th century that only exacerbated the problem. At the turn of the century, the city's water lay in the hands of the Los Angeles City Water Company, but by 1902, the city's municipal government bought out the company. Its superintendent, William Mulholland, remained in his position after the acquisition taking the reins of the newly formed Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. With his conglomerate, Mulholland received authorization from the Board of Water Commissioners to find new water sources for the city in 1904. He assembled a team of engineers and people who knew the area, including former mayor Fred Eaton, as they would know what sources were plausible and readily available. They eventually discovered the Owens Valley region on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada mountain range, around 200 miles away from the city. The Owens River was large enough to provide Los Angeles with all the water it needed, but Owens Valley was a populated region. They had their own designs for the river, seeking funding from the Bureau of Reclamation to make a public irrigation system. With Los Angeles's much more extensive plans, Mulholland and Eaton stopped the irrigation project, taking the land and water rights they needed to realize their goals. But this was not without extensive bribery, deception, and political context. Planning the route from the Owens River directly to the San Fernando Valley, the duo and their backers bought up all the land needed to make the aqueduct. They all stood to gain untold profits from it, and all were very eager to invest. The 1906 construction bond overwhelmingly passed, which came in at $1.5 million, or around $48 million today. The grand scale of the plan caught the eye of President Theodore Roosevelt, who approved of its ambitions as a prime example of his ideal, advanced America. With another bomb passed in 1907, this one set at $23 million, or a staggering $735 million today, construction began in October. With an initial team of 4,000 workers, the proportion of the task became apparent. The first and most challenging part of the project was its great deal of tunneling, with 142 tunnels totaling 43 miles the longest being the Elizabeth Tunnel at five miles. Tunneling took up the majority of construction, starting with the South Portal on October the 5th and the North Portal following on November the 1st. The workers tunneled entirely by hand as they installed machinery to lighten the labor. Considering the task ahead, only the most advanced technologies of the time would do. Among those technologies were four 500-foot-per-minute two-stage air compressors, a track of 36-pound rails for operating electric locomotives, and the Caterpillar tractor, which cemented its name in history by performing exceptionally well in the construction of the tunnels, hauling timber in and excavating material out. With the aid of these tractors, the Elizabeth Tunnel excavation reached a record speed for hard rock tunnel 
tunnel driving at 604 feet in one month. Extracted materials went to five different quarries acquired by the city, which distributed the millions of tons of displaced limestone among the five. Perhaps this excavation's most significant advancement was employing the use of dynamite and drills. Both saw extensive use throughout the Industrial Revolution, but this project was one of the largest. Thanks to these tools, the North and South portals raced to their meeting point to join up and complete the Elizabeth Tunnel. With speeds like this, the construction team made progress at unprecedented rates. While the Board of Engineers estimated that the job would take five years to complete, the workers achieved their deadline 20 months earlier than expected. Installation of the tunnel lining began in 1911, starting at the center and working outwards in both directions. Steel I-beams replaced the structural timbers which received concrete surroundings, strengthening the already strong steel. Now this aqueduct works entirely by gravity, delivering water from the Owens River to the city through its tunnel and open canals. Its length is an astonishing 215 miles, 24 of which are opened unlined canals which did not have any material between the water and the soil. 37 miles are open canal that do have a lining, and then you have another 97 miles of covered conduit. Of course, there are the 43 miles of tunnel and 12 miles of steel siphons. At one point, there were also 120 miles of railroad track, two hydraulic plants, three cement plants, 170 miles of power lines, 240 miles of telephone lines, and 500 miles of road. After five years of excavation and construction, a dedication ceremony conveyed on November the 5th 1913 to celebrate the completion of the world's longest aqueduct. William Mulholland stepped up to address the crowd and sealed off the ceremony by declaring, there it is, take it. And it certainly was a desirable acquisition for the city. It was not only the longest aqueduct in the world at the time, but it was also the world's largest single water project. It supplied enough water to sustain millions, despite the city's population not even being a third of a million in 1913. Because of that water supply, Los Angeles could afford to grow exponentially in the coming years. Though all was not well in the area around Los Angeles, now that the vast majority of the Owens River flowed into the Los Angeles Aqueduct, the Owens Lake, which was the original endpoint of the river, began to seriously feel the effect. By 1924, the lake was drying up to dangerous extremes. Farmers in the area took the issue to Mulholland and after many complaints bombarded his office, the organization permitted increased flow to the Owens River. However, with more Los Angeles land acquisition from these farmers, the Owens River water mostly fell back into the city's hands. And now that the city technically owned the water, they diverted the water back into the aqueduct, abusing the loophole of who owns the water source. The region's farmers did not agree with the city's legal shenanigans. Protesters appeared all around the affected areas, trying to resurrect the now dried out Owens Lake. Some actually took to bombing parts of the aqueduct when the city did not answer their frustrations. With these assaults on the aqueduct escalating to a conflict, the disputes gained the moniker, the Water Wars. But believe it or not, the protesters were not responsible for the greatest tragedy the aqueduct faced. In 1928, the St. Francis Dam in northern Los Angeles County had finally succumbed to a lack of support 
the dam burst, flooding towns in the area with billions of gallons of water, killing an estimated 431 residents in its 100-foot-high wall of water. An investigation returned with no discovered foul play aside from the misplacement of the dam itself. Though courts cleared Mulholland of charges, the flood destroyed his reputation, forcing his resignation. Now that 90% of the water of the Owens River entered the Los Angeles aqueduct and the area only continued growing, another problem for the city arose. The water supply needed to continue expansion. Beginning in 1930 with a vote among Los Angeles citizens, the extension to the Los Angeles aqueduct underwent construction throughout the 1930s to extend the water supply to the northern Mono Basin. And with the relatively uneventful construction completed in 1940, the aqueduct's extension had a 400 cubic feet per second capacity. However, it could only ever handle 123 cubic feet per second due to the oldest part of the system. But with older sections getting extensions in 1970, the city could finally utilize its total capacity, which unfortunately brought water wars up to the monobasin. The fish habitat there took a severe blow as well as the water level of Mono Lake and the region's air quality. The residents of Mono Basin bombarded the city's water organization, now the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, with a flurry of lawsuits. These suits resulted in fishery protections with new stream flow minimums and a new minimum for Mono Lake's water level. However, this was not sufficient either. By 1956, the water the city legally had access to had become too little for the new scale that now was. And the Water Rights Board made it perfectly clear that they would not tolerate any other exploitation of loopholes. With no other options, they took to designing yet another aqueduct. The second Los Angeles aqueduct's construction began in 1965 and in total cost $89 million, or $794 million today. Completed in 1970 and adding another 137 miles to the water system, of which 64 were concrete conduit, 69 were steel pipes, and 4 miles had the status of other, the second aqueduct added enough water for the total export to arrive at 450,000 acre-feet per year. And for yet a third time, the water drawn out of the system brought the fury of Los Angeles' neighbors. Environmental consequences, just like the previous ones, afflicted the Mono Basin and the Owens Valley by 1974, leading to yet another flood of lawsuits. The so-called water wars continue to this day. The failure of St. Francis Dam has not been forgotten, and these matters often overshadow the benefits and accomplishment of one of the world's most amazing water systems. The fact of the matter is that Los Angeles once got 70% of its water from the aqueducts, and even today, the city imports over 50% of its water from the newer Colorado River aqueduct. The city could not do without its original system. But with water leaks and evaporation taking their toll, the problems ahead are much larger in scale today than they were in the past, and it's up to the people of Los Angeles to arrive at a solution. So thanks for watching this episode, everyone. Check out my California History playlist. Hit that subscribe button. This is Ryan Sokash, signing off.